All right, stay standing. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. If you need a Bible, ushers, if you guys can hold up your hand. If you need a Bible, we have one for you. We'd like to bring it to you. Encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. Turn in them. I want you to have the Word of God in your lap. One hand over here. And if you need this Bible, you can keep it. So guys, if you could hand those out. Anybody needs a Bible, raise your hand. All right, Luke chapter 4. So we're in a series called Fresh Encounters with Jesus. We're looking at people in the Bible, in the Gospels, who encountered Jesus. We've looked at Nicodemus. We've looked at the woman of the well. We've looked at his baptism. We looked at the people last week who experienced the resurrected Jesus. Well, today, Satan encounters Jesus with temptations. Luke 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, Remember, he had just been baptized. He had been validated by the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And now, he experiences temptation. Full of the Holy Spirit, he returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written. Say, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. That's a lie. Say, the devil's a liar. (laughs) verse 7 if you then will worship me it will be yours and Jesus answered him it is written say it is written written. you shall worship the Lord your God him alone shall you serve then the devil took him to Jerusalem set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him if you're the son of God throw yourself down from here for it is written uh oh now the devil's using the word Listen, just because somebody uses Scripture doesn't mean it's of God. Come on. Cults use Scripture all the time. They twist it. They distort it. Remember in the garden? Did God really say? So Satan knows the word really well, and if you don't know it, you could be tricked. So now Satan is quoting Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hand they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said. Say, It is said. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, had ended every temptation, he departed from him and never attacked him again. Oh, good. You caught that. Good. I like it. You're in the Word. Don't let me trick you. Until an opportune time. So this was not going to be the last time that Jesus encountered Satan and Satan encountered Jesus. You pass a test, you'll face more. Wish I could say it was otherwise, but I can't. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you to anoint your word now. Your word says that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Let it be that today, Lord. Piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. 
where we're living out of our own soul versus the Spirit convict us. Pray for those today who are under mighty temptation. They're on the edge. Keep them from falling. Pray for those who've already fallen that today they will find grace. And pray for those who don't know Jesus that they will be saved today for your glory. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Well, I got good news today. Here's the good news. The one we read about today who won the victory over this temptation, if you are saved today, lives inside of you. Galatians 2 and 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, nevertheless I live, yet not I, Christ lives in me. If you're saved today, the same Jesus who won the victory over these temptations lives inside of you and can give you the victory because 1 John 4 and 4 says, Greater is he that is in me than he, the, 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 the devil that is in the world. That's good news. Now listen, if you're here today and you're not saved, you're living for self, you've not received Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, good luck. <laughs> Sorry, I love you. Good luck. You're going to get eaten and devoured by the enemy. And so first point today, all these points come right out of this passage. First point today is this, temptation is part of following Jesus. Listen, I wish I could tell you different. I wish I could say today you get saved and now I am happy all the day. Not true. You're not going to be happy all the day. It's not going to be a bed of roses. It's not going to be easy. Matter of fact, the moment you get saved, you become more a target of the enemy. Somebody said once, Satan let sleeping Christians lie. <laughs> if you're lying, you're not doing anything, you're passive, you're not seeking God, he's got you right where he wants you. But when we seek the Lord, we pursue God, you seek to live a Christ-honoring life, you can expect opposition. Jesus had just been filled with the Spirit at his baptism validated by the Father, and this is what comes next. So the Bible talks about that we battle on three fronts, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they're not easily distinguished. They work in cahoots. They're really good friends. They know each other. And so we live in a sinful world of which it says that Satan is the god of this world. We battle with an unsanctified flesh. Our spirit is made new the moment we're saved. Our spirit is made righteous the moment we're saved. Our spirit is filled with the Holy Spirit, but we still have our unsanctified flesh, our mind, our will, our emotions, our physical body. Those aren't perfect yet. Our spirit is perfect in Christ, but our unsanctified soul has this battle and what, what is called the flesh. Paul in Romans 7, man, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I want to do and, he, and he's wrestling with the flesh it's the normal Christian life to be tempted your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 all temptation but such as is common to man okay 1 Corinthians 10 13 no temptation is overtaking you but such as is common to man Every believer will experience temptation. Peter was tempted. Remember Jesus said, Satan's demanded to sift you as wheat. I pray that your faith would remain strong. Jesus was tempted here. Paul was tempted. You and I will experience temptation. So buck up. Martin Luther had a great quote. 
He said there are three requirements for a great servant of God. Prayer, meditation on the Word, and temptation. (laughs) We like the first two, don't we? Well, obviously, if somebody's going to be used by God, they need to be a person of prayer. They need to be a person of the Word. But he said here, and it's right on, temptation is part of the journey. It's part of the refining. It's part of the being tested that you might be elevated in your usefulness to God. One of the things that I love about this encounter is we see just how human and real and vulnerable Jesus was. Right? That there's this mystery of His being fully man and fully God. You can't ever fully explain it, but it's biblical that He was fully man. Hebrews 4 and 15 says, Tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so there's debates in theological circles. Could He have sinned? Well, of course He could have, or else it wouldn't have been a real temptation. If His deity made Him somehow unable to sin then he wasn't really human as we are. And so the Bible says that he was fully human, fully divine. In his humanity, he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. He had to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit, just like we do. And praise God, he lives inside of every believer to allow us to be victorious as well. All right, number two, this is important. Temptation in and of itself is not sin. But it can lead to sin. You hear me? Jesus never sinned, but he was tempted. And so what happens a lot of times is that when a person goes through temptation, they allow the enemy to use that temptation to make them think that they're automatically guilty of sin when they haven't even yet committed the sin. Oh, just the fact that you were tempted, Satan will use that and try to beat you up with that. But temptation in and of itself is not sin. James chapter 1. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted, but each person is tempted when he is lured, watch this, and enticed. Okay, there's something that's right there. It's, 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 it's after you. It's like Adam and Eve in the garden. Eat the fruit by his own desire. So that's the unsanctified flesh. Then desire when it has conceived. There's the point at which you've crossed the line. When it's conceived, then it gives birth to sin. But that luring, that enticing, that temptation in and of itself is not sin. Now listen closely. You might be attracted to someone you're not married to. That is not sin. But it can lead to sin if you look again, entertain the ungodly thoughts, and maybe lust in your mind or heart, pursue a relationship that could lead to an affair what's the old phrase you can't control a bird from landing in your head but you can keep it from building a nest (laughs) you're taking a test college students and you are tempted to glance at the person next to you or steal something online about the test that would that would be cheating that temptation's not a sin but it could lead to sin you see something your neighbor has Or you see something the world offers and it invites you to covet that. The temptation is not sin, but it could lead to sin. Now, let me bring up a few areas that are very big in our culture today. Listen closely. Having same-sex attraction does not make you gay. It's a temptation that you can choose to not act upon. 
God says sex is a beautiful expression of love and intimacy between one man and one woman in the context of holy marriage. That's what the Word says. Nowhere else is, sin or is sex allowed. So someone with same-sex attractions, just like a heterosexual man or woman who might be attracted to someone they're not married to, is a temptation, not a sin. But it can lead to sin if they have sex with that person. And listen, don't define yourself based upon your sexual preference. Define yourself based upon what God says about you. Another example, being confused about your gender or wish you were another gender is a temptation that you can reject and say, no, God did not make a mistake, and I'm going to accept whom He's made me. God created them male and female, and that is not to be messed with or changed. If you have struggles there or with same-sex attractions, submit to God. Get biblical counseling if needed, and Jesus can give you the victory. I just completed a book called Grow Up, a discipleship manual. And the last chapter in that book is on biblical sexuality. And I'm happy to share it with anybody who emails me. All right, now I want to examine the actual content and nature of the three temptations that Jesus faced. So the point three is this. Temptations come where we are most vulnerable. Jesus was in a fast, therefore he was hungry. His flesh craved food. Therefore, what does Satan do? He tempts him to change a stone into bread. So Satan did with Jesus exactly the same strategy he will do with you and me. He will come after you where you are vulnerable, where you are most drawn. Every one of us have what I call a fatal flaw. That is an area you are most prone to sin or fall in. And it's not the same for everyone. One person's fatal flaw may be sexual immorality. Another person's fatal flaw might be materialism. Another person's fatal flaw might be greed or envy or bitterness or gossip. But we all have areas where we are particularly vulnerable. Okay? And that is where Satan will go after. So we need to be alert. That's why 1 Peter 5 says, Be alert. Be sober-minded. Your enemy prowls around seeking whom he may devour. So the first area in which Jesus was tempted was for physical pleasure or satisfaction to, to meet that need, that desire for food. And I think each of these three temptations, just like in the garden with Adam and Eve, is consistent with what 1 John 2.16 talks about, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. So we'll see that in these three. First of all, the lust of the eyes. Seeing something that could meet a physical need. Seeing a stone that he could. He had the power. He could turn it into bread. But it would be a misuse of his power. And instead, he resisted because he was going to stay in the fast that the Father had called him to. Number two is for prominence. So now is where Satan takes him, shows him the kingdoms of the world, lies to him and saying, look, if you just bow to me, Jesus, I'll give you these things. Now listen closely. What he was offering him was this. He was offering Jesus the throne without the cross. A kingdom without suffering. Gain without the pain. And that was not the way that Jesus was going to have all authority in heaven and on earth. 
That was going to come as he went to Calvary and as he died and shed his blood for our sins and as he rose from the dead. Much like when in the garden they're arresting him and he said, I could call legions of angels if I wanted, but I'm not going to do it. He had the ability. He had the power. He could have called angels. He could have submitted in these ways, but he chose not to because he knew that ultimately he had to go to the cross. And he had to bear our sin and shame and the wrath of God for sin. Maybe for you, it's, it's a promotion, but you have to sacrifice your family. More money and material things, but you'll have to become a workaholic. Similar type of temptation. And that goes with lust of the eyes because he allowed him to see the kingdoms of the world. And finally, he was tempted to misuse his power. This is the boastful pride of life because if he did this, he could have boasted, oh, jump off the temple. Look, look, Jesus, it says in the Word that his angels will give in charge over you so you can jump and the angels will come and you'll just fly. Kind of like that scene in, in uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. Hey, Jesus, walk across my swimming pool. Show your, you know, displaying his power in a way that would have brought him earthly attention and him glory, but he was never going to use his power in that way. And this goes with the boastful pride of life because then he could have prided himself. He could have boasted that, look, look at me. I can just snap my finger and make things happen. That was not the will of Jesus. One more thing on this last temptation, and again, notice that Satan uses the word. Twisting Scripture to deceive. Same in the garden. Did God say? Did God really say? Oh, Jehovah Witnesses will come knocking on your door. and They'll use a lot of Scripture. You know what their Bible says? John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. That's not what the New Testament Greek says. And if you don't know that, if you're not sharp, you could be misled. Some Church of Christ, not all, I would almost consider a cult because they're so adamant about baptism for the remission of sins. You're not saved unless you've been baptized for the remission of sins, which really boils down to in their church, their way. I had a Church of Christ buddy tell me in college, Billy Graham was not saved because he hadn't been baptized for the remission of sins. Rich, you were raised in that church. Would you consider some branches of Church of Christ a cult? Mormonism. Oh, and they got another book. Book of Mormon. Do you know anything about Joseph Smith? Do you know anything about Book of Mormon? Using Scripture. Some versions of Christianity can be guilty of this. Using God's Word for personal advantage. The name it, claim it, prosperity gospel. Claiming Scripture so that you can get a pay raise and you'll never be you know, sick and you can just name it and claim it. And it's very, it can be, if you're not careful, it can lead you into a lot of self-focus and you gaining what you want. So be careful, guys. This is, this is um, he's, he, he's, he's using the same strategy today. But the bottom line is, we all have areas of vulnerability, and it's important that you know where you're most prone to fall. 
It's like the verse in Hebrews 12, that sin which so easily clings to you. Some things will more easily cling to me, perhaps. William, maybe it's different. Jimmy, it may be different from you. And Steve, it'll be, you know, it's, we're, all, we're all uniquely, we all have a spiritual DNA. <laughs> and unfortunately, Satan knows it well. All right. Number four. Temptations often come to the mind. Just as Satan was speaking to Jesus, putting thoughts in his mind, tempting him with various things, in the same way, you and I, temptations, some of the biggest temptations are between the ears. <laughs> Your thought life. That's why the Bible says we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's why the Bible says take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. Okay? And so the battle is between the ears, the mind, but the solution is between the cheeks, your mouth, speaking God's Word. So it's important that you learn to discern whether thoughts are of God or the enemy or maybe just your own flesh. Okay? Important distinction there. All right, so let's get to the most important point, and that is that temptations must be resisted with the Word. Again, the battle lies between the ears, the mind, but the solution lies between the cheeks, the mouth, speaking God's Word, discerning whether a thought or a temptation is from God or not, or whether the, the thought is from God or not, replacing lies with truth, so important. The Word, the Word, the Word. Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Three times he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. Why or how? Because he knew the Word. He had the Word in his heart. Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy Word. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119 says, thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, the Word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Ephesians 6 says, take up the armor of God, and one of the pieces of the armor is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Beloved, you and I need to know the Word. We need to be sharp in the Word. This week in my discipleship group, one of the guys in my group, so proud of him, he said one of the practices that he's now doing, in his journal, he's recording, he's drawing a line down a piece of paper, and he's recording thoughts that he has in his mind, especially about his identity. Love Madeline's testimony today. So much about identity. And he, he often has thoughts that are things like, you know, you're not going to amount to anything. You're a terrible Christian. All these shaming, condemning thoughts. And that's one of the things the enemy does, doesn't he? Revelation 12, he's the accuser of the brethren. And so he started to write down these thoughts that he has, particularly about his identity, and when they're not consistent with the Word, he's putting Scriptures on the right side, and he's renewing his mind with the truth of God's Word. Beloved, you've got to fight for your freedom. You've got to take these things and fight for them, and don't be passive. Don't let the enemy beat you up with shaming, condemning thoughts. Begin to recite truths about God, truths about the gospel, truths about your identity. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm in the righteousness of Jesus. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You begin to quote those truths and it will transform your life. Must be resisted with the word. Let me give you some examples. Maybe you're tempted to remain bitter towards somebody who's hurt you. 
But the Word says, Ephesians 4.32, forgive as you've been forgiven. Okay? You're tempted to rob God by withholding the tithe. But the Word says, Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse of God. Test me and see if I'll not bless you. You're tempted to go after another person that you're not married to. But the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery. You're tempted to go after a material item thinking that's going to make you happy. But Philippians 4 says, be content with what you have. You're tempted to believe that God doesn't love you because something difficult has happened in your life. But Jeremiah 31 and 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And Romans 8 says, nothing can separate you from my love. You're tempted to have lustful thoughts toward another person in a sexual way. But but Job 31.1 says, I have made a covenant with my eye that I will not look lustfully on another. You're tempted to rebel, young person, against mother and father and to go your own way and go against their Christian values. But the Word says, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. Responding to temptation with God's Word. And praise God we have a Savior who's been victorious. And so I want you to turn now to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Two passages that talk about Jesus being tempted and because of what He went through as a human in victory over temptation, He can help you and me. This is good news. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18. For because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Beloved, that's the Christ who lives in you if you're saved today. Because He Himself has suffered when tempted. That goes even another level, doesn't it? There was was suffering in His temptation. There was suffering and hardship. It wasn't just an easy resisting. Here He is fasting 40 days, hungry. There was suffering But because he resisted, he can help those who are being tempted. That's you and me on a regular basis. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews 4, 15. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That means he can feel with you. He's been through it. He can identify with you, and you can identify with Him. He's not a Savior that is, that is so removed from us that He can't identify. Praise God that God chose to become a man in Jesus, to be an example to us. He is able to sympathize with your weaknesses. See, this is how you personalize it. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Now, it may not be the exact temptation you experience. You're tempted to steal from Dollar General. Well, there wasn't a Dollar General when Jesus was around, so it's not like a one-for-one parallel. But in every respect that we are tempted, in some form or fashion, He too has been tempted, yet without sin. Hallelujah. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we, that I, put your name in there, may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hallelujah. All right, final point today. 
What do we do when we fall? Because you know what? We're not going to bat a 1,000. In Major League Baseball, if you get a hit one out of three times, man, you're going to be an all-star. Well, in life, sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? You may feel like you take one step forward and two step backwards. <laughs> We're going to fall. We're going to slip. We're not going to bat a 1,000. So praise God for this final point that number six, forgiveness is available when we sin. Aren't you glad? Peter failed. God restored him. King David committed adultery and murder. God restored him. Now, there were consequences, but God restored him. Paul killed Christians. Jesus forgave him and used him. The woman at the well was looking for love in all the wrong places. Jesus met her and forgave her. The woman caught in adultery was about to be stoned until she met Jesus, who said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Listen, no matter what you've done, no matter where you might have slipped and fallen, if you bring it to the cross, if you're humble enough to admit it, confess it, Jesus will forgive. Jesus will restore you. And in Proverbs 28, 13, it says, He who conceals his sin will not prosper. To conceal your sin means you cover it up, you hide it, you pretend it's not there. But he who confesses, that means you're honest with God and you admit it. You're humble to admit your fault and you forsake it. You don't just come to get forgiveness so you go do it again like the guy that goes to the confessional who just you know, thinks he can get absolved and he's going to go right back and do the same thing. We're not talking about that. We're talking about confession and forsaking. And then what happens? God showers His grace and mercy on you. That's the good news of the gospel today, beloved. All right, let's review what we've talked about and then we'll do some Q&A. Temptation is part of following Jesus. It's not a sin in and of itself, but it can lead to sin. It comes where we're most vulnerable. It often comes in the form of thoughts in the mind. It can be resisted by the power of the Word of God. When you fall, there's forgiveness available. Amen? Amen. All right, let's take some questions. Text those in. Or raise your hand, and uh, the mic will be brought to you. All right, what questions do you have? It's a pretty, pretty important topic, pretty relevant topic, so I'm sure there's going to be some. All right? Um, when talking about temptation, what do you say about Matthew 5 when it talks about, you know, if you murder your brother, but if you're angry, you've already murdered him? Good. So in, in Matthew 5, Jesus is taking the law to a heart level. The Pharisees and others prided themselves that, oh, I've never killed somebody. Check. I've never committed adultery. Check. And Jesus said, hold on. Righteousness goes deeper than the external. You've not committed murder? Great. Have you had hatred in your heart where you've literally killed them in your heart? You've wanted to get vengeance? Well, that's, oh, that's, just, that's still a sin. Now, the consequences for hatred in your heart towards somebody is not the same as actual murder. You're going to end up in jail if you murder somebody. You're not going to end up in jail for hating somebody in your heart, at least not physical jail. You'll end up in spiritual jail because <laughs> you'll be held tormenting by that bitterness. So Jesus was just simply trying to bring it down to the fact that sin at, at the thought level and at the heart level is still a sin before God. So you've not committed adultery great physically, 
but you have in your heart, when you've lusted after that person, when you took that second, third, fourth look, when you undressed them in your mind, when you wondered what would it be like to be in bed with them, well, you've committed, you've committed adultery in your heart. And that's a sin before God. That's what Jesus was doing there. Great question. Oh, okay. Uh, I just have a generalized question. Um, for those that might be struggling in any way, you said biblical counseling. Um, um, how is it available in the church? I'm just really asking maybe for someone that is struggling and they don't know how to get counseling. So biblical counseling, is that offered You know, here? So we have two people that we point people to directly. They're not on staff at our church, and they both need to charge because that's their business. One is sitting just to your right, Jimmy Bamberg. Raise your hand. <laughs> Jimmy was a pastor here, moved away, came back. Now he's got a counseling practice. And but, oh, both are here. Wow, perfect timing. And Buddy Prow is the other right here. Raise your hand. And so they each need to charge, and we provide assistance when finances are an issue. From our benevolent fund, if, that's, if finances are a barrier to that, let Shannon, the guy holding the mic, we got perfect trio right here. How about that? So Shannon can help you, and we have helped a lot of people get counseling. If it's out of their realm... You know, everybody has their realm. Everybody has their wheelhouse. If it's out of their realm, then we have others or they have others that we could refer you to. Great question. And by the way, thank you. Before we go to the next one. Love the question because a lot of people think getting counseling means I must be like some weirdo, wacko, I'm losing my mind. No. Everybody, I believe, your pastor included, and I have. Matter of fact, Dee and I have seen Jimmy for our marriage at times, okay? So I believe that in the abundance of counsel, there's wisdom. And so, and, and James 5, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So count, we need to get this, we need to get that whole idea that counseling is only for the really messed up people. It's for the very wise person who wants to be godly. How about that? Counseling's for the wise, godly person who wants to become more like Jesus. Amen. Good. Okay, so I remember in your sermon you was talking about people who have these different temptations. So I actually think I heard you say this before, but now I'm married, but what about people who who say they have, uh, quote, safe sex attraction? You know, like some people say, well, oh, if you have that, you gay and all this kind of stuff. Now, what? how do you... You know, how do, how do you address that with someone? They may not act out those feelings. Do you just go along with it and say, oh, man, you must, yeah, you, you get yeah, it's all right. You like that and all of this. Now, you know, they say, you marry, I say, if you're a man, you look at the other woman. There's one thing, but if a man look at another man, another woman look at another woman, I don't know if we should just say, oh, yeah, he, they, they, they homosexual and all of that. That's just because they think like that. How you all go, what you think about this? So as I said earlier in my message, same-sex attraction is a temptation, but it doesn't have to lead to sin. And if you have same-sex attraction, you are not gay. A gay, you, are, you can choose to not act on it, just like a heterosexual chooses to not go to somebody they're not married to. And I believe that now not in, in, not in every case does a person who maybe comes out of the homosexual lifestyle, get changed to where they're now attracted to others and, or to an opposite gender and get married. Some do, and there's many testimonies of people who are in the gay lifestyle 
got saved, surrendered their life to Jesus, and God changed them to being attracted to the opposite sex. That doesn't happen all the time. And this is why I love Beckett Cook. Beckett Cook has an amazing testimony coming out of the gay lifestyle, gets radically saved. He admits on his podcast, I still have same-sex attraction, but I choose not to act on it. I choose at this point in my life to live a celibate life, which actually the Bible exalts. 1 Corinthians, he exalts singleness. He says, you're actually better single than married because you can devote your full attention to the Lord. So we need to have a biblical view of singleness today. We don't provide enough biblical teaching on the positives of singleness. And so Beckett Cook has chosen to live a celibate, godly life, even though he's still tempted with same-sex attraction, just like a single heterosexual may be tempted to have sexual desires for somebody they're not married to. Okay? But the point is, you obey God's Word. As a disciple of Jesus, you say, God, your Word trumps my feelings. Your Word trumps our culture. We're not changing the Word to accommodate culture. In all of Judaism... In all of Christianity, until this generation, homosexual sex has been considered sin. In all of Judaism, in all of Christianity, Protestant and Catholic, just up until about 15 years ago, it was considered sin. So what has changed? Has the word changed? No. But what's happening is churches, unfortunately, are, are getting away from Scripture, catering to culture, and it's compromising God's word. Pastor, would you take a moment to speak to the backslidden and just um, really to address what they might be experiencing, like maybe they failed so far, they've gone so far or failed to such a point that they are beyond redemption? Yeah. Could you Good. speak to that, to those that might be in that state, please? Yeah, so the best way to answer the question on, on, the, on the backslider, as it's called, is to use the prodigal son story. You know, here was a son of the father, they were in a relationship, and he chose to rebel he chose to go away from that relationship with the Father and rebel and live his life the way he wanted. That would be a person who is genuinely saved, born again, but they choose to drift, backslide, slide back, drift out of God's will. I believe those people are still saved. I believe they're sealed with the Holy Spirit till the day of redemption. I believe that nothing can cause them to lose their salvation, but they're out of fellowship. And the Holy Spirit, if they're truly saved, the Holy Spirit is constantly wanting to woo them back. Hebrews 12 says if you're, if you're a true child of God, you'll be disciplined before the Father loves you. If you're not disciplined, then you're an illegitimate child and not a true son. So a sign of a true believer is that when they sin, they're convicted. They'll eventually realize they are out of God's will. And just like the prodigal, he came to his senses. He realized, man, what a wreck I've made of my life. He's been reaping what he has sown, and he returns to the Father. And the Father doesn't say, you know what, I disowned you. Now we not to go through legal process for me to adopt you back. No, he said, this son of mine who was gone has now returned. And he welcomed him, and he forgave him, and they had a party. In the same way that a believer who backslides, if they will come to their senses and return, the Father's loving, unconditional arms are open and they will be welcomed back and restored to fellowship. Okay, follow up? Follow up. Sorry. If, if there's somebody that's experiencing that to the point that they want to commit suicide because they're like, you know what, I've gone so far, why am I even here? I can't, I can't get out of this mess. 
Could you just speak to those that are feeling suicidal about something they've done? Or Well, John 10.10 10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But, I, but Jesus said, I've come that you might have a life and have it abundantly. And so though any thoughts of suicide, watching online, anybody in the room, any thoughts of suicide, those are the enemy trying to take you out. You need to resist that. You need to, you need to resist that. You need to share that with somebody that can help you, pray for you. Many times that is a direct demon that needs to be renounced in Jesus' name. And uh, so I would just say to anybody that's having suicidal thoughts, you can know for sure that's not God. God wants to give you an abundant life. That is Satan trying to tempt you and take you out. Don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. Know that God loves you, welcomes you back, and you, can, you cannot sin out of God's love. You can sin out of experiencing God's love, but no sin will, will, will cause God to not love you anymore. He loves you with an everlasting love. Jeff? Uh, what are some practices that Christians can use to... Uh, when they're in discussion with people who have the ideology of, like, you do you. Like, my sin doesn't hurt people. Like, if I drink and drive, I can hurt people. But if, say, somebody watches porn, they're hurting themselves, but not necessarily... Ask it again. For some reason, I'm not hearing it well. What are some best practices for Christians who confront the you do you ideology in society? So basically, my sin doesn't hurt anyone... Yeah, they're living in a very postmodernist idea. Rich, you want to take the first stab at that? Because I know you have talked about that a lot. Did you hear it? Yeah, so the you do you. I don't have that patented, by the way, Jeff, so you can use it. <laughs> now, what we're referring to is the little kind of slogan, the be you. little kind of slogan, the be you, do you, for you. And if I understand